Welcome back to Crawford Media. My name is Hal Crawford, and today I'm speaking to Livewire regional publishing boss, Genevieve Jacobs. Genevieve heads up Region Media, a digital-only publisher operating primarily out of Canberra. When I met Genevieve a few months ago, I knew I had to get her on the podcast. Not only does she have a great voice, but she exuded confidence and optimism, which is not usual for anyone engaged in this business at the moment. Region Media's main publication is Riot Act, the act bit referring to the ACT or Australian Capital Territory, which is the mini-state that contains the city of Canberra, for those listeners who aren't familiar with the acronym. Well, Genevieve, thanks very much for joining me today. You and I met on a panel, actually. Uh, it was the launch of the Digital News Report from Canberra University. And uh, during that panel conversation that we were having between ourselves and with the room, uh, you impressed me, one, with your passion for your business and uh, also your ability to uh, query me and um, challenge me, which uh, I think might come from your broadcast background. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was also impressed by how you spoke about your business model. So I'd like to explore all those things today with you, if that's okay. Oh, look, I'd love to talk to you, Hal. And uh, yeah, look, the uh, the advocacy comes from uh, many years of ABC Talkback Radio. So I know how to push the buttons. And so could you explain exactly who you work for and what you do? Yeah, so I'm the group editor for Region Media. Region Media is, we think, Australia's fastest growing media company. It's wholly independent and wholly locally owned and operated. So we're based in Canberra. It's owned by Michael McGugan and Tim White, who are both a pair of tech entrepreneurs. And probably the thing that's a bit distinctive about this as a media business is that they spotted in about 2016, 2017, the potential for what was happening then and and beginning to happen even more dramatically in regional media in particular, as we saw the amalgamation, the disaggregation of, um, of old school media assets. Uh, Tim was actually involved with All Homes and Domain, which are real estate portals that many of your listeners would probably be familiar with. So he had a really solid idea of how you could use real estate, apply some tech knowledge and build a firm financial basis for the operation. And I think how what often happens with new media operations is that they're founded by journalists who've got great ideas about content, but often don't really understand how to make things a financial success. Region Media is a digital-only, wholly local news platform, but it's founded by a couple of very savvy businessmen with a lot of tech experience. And their next step on spotting the opportunity was to say, okay, let's find the journalists who can make it work. And so they've they've gone around hiring terrific journalists, people who are significant figures, young journalists starting out, mid-career journalists, and amalgamated them all around the region media masthead. Um, so it's become a pretty exciting place to work because at a time when many, many journalists are losing their jobs and leaving the industry, we are actively hiring and continue to do so. So you're in charge of the editorial side, aren't you? I'm the group editor, so yeah. my role sits above both the editorial and the business sides, and the intention is for me to be a link between them. Um, I guess the guys describe me, in a sense, as the conscience of the organisation. So my role is to set the editorial standards, to advocate for the organisation in public, uh, to be somebody who can lead conversation within our community and to guarantee the integrity of the platform. 
We've got about 40 staff working for us overall, both here in the office and externally. We've got a number of contributors who work in various places around southeastern New South Wales. We've actually just set up a Riverina office with five new staff there. Um, and so I, I sit at the top of all of that, although we do try to have a fairly flat hierarchy and make this as community-minded as we can. How many of those 40 people are, are journos? Around about half or perhaps a third of our staff are journos. We've also got tech staff and business staff, um, the full-time photographer, videographer, uh, quite a lot of business staff to, to back the operations up. Uh, we've just hired, for example, um, Chris Johnson, who many of your listeners will know is uh, the editor of The Mandarin, the public sector newsletter. He's joining us to head up our public sector team. I'm really interested in what you said about journalists starting businesses as opposed to, in your case, to tech-minded uh, and entrepreneurial people starting businesses. I've gone to Riot Act. I'm, I'm, I don't live in Canberra, and um, so I'm not a regular consumer of, of, uh, of that publication. But one thing that was immediately clear to me was that it was, it's very good technically. It feels like a solid platform. How important to your mind is that side of things? Look, it's critically important how there's a tendency for people who are strong editorially to not really understand how important the platform and the means of production is. So there's, there's a couple of things here. Obviously, it is a great deal cheaper when you don't have the, the shackles of print around your ankles. The costs are considerably alleviated. The pushback to that is that it's got to be an attractive and easily navigable platform that we produce. We've got to really invest in making the user experience clear and straightforward. People have got to be able to read it on their devices. Um, That governs all kinds of things from how the layout works to the length of our stories. So my stories are typically 500 to 750 words because we know that that's about the limit of attention that people will pay on a device that's held in their hand. Um, We are just about to launch an app uh, and that will include some geolocation um, as the app expands so that people can choose the things that they're interested in, looking at things like the ABC's app as an example of of how to make this work most effectively. I guess what we're up against is, and we, we know this from the Digital News Report, for example, that while there is a huge attachment to print, the reality is that people are getting their local news digitally and that they're not going back. There's a small pool of people who are subscribed to newspapers And it's often the same people who have maybe even four or five different subscriptions to newspapers. But our market is every ordinary Canberran, southeast New South Wales, Riverina reader. And they are looking at their social media. They're looking at apps. They're looking at emails. And so the design of the site has got to match that experience as closely as it possibly can. Um, So how many uh, mastheads are there associated with regional media? With region media, sorry. So the first is the Riot Act. Peculiar name, I know, but that's the site that Tim and Michael first acquired in 2016. And it was a sort of a knockabout platform in Canberra that had a fairly strong established readership, about 124,000 unique readers per month. But look, a fairly poor reputation, to to be honest with you. Um, It was a site of sort of flame wars and kebab recommendations. But the boys recognised that what they could do was take that fairly strong name recognition and turn the reputation around. So we are now on the Riot Act, our main site, clocking around about 670,000 unique readers per month, around 25 to mostly about 30,000 unique readers per day, which we know is equivalent uh, to the Canberra Times digital traffic as, as best we can determine. 
Mm. Um, we've got a subsidiary Canberra site. We run a China platform operation with several staff here who translate a curated amount of content from the Riot Act into Chinese, but are also just beginning to create original content. Uh, we've also got the About Regional platform, uh, which is the people within sort of about two, two and a half hours drive of Canberra. Uh, and then we've just opened Region Riverina. And Region Riverina is based in Wagga, um, which is one of the fastest growing regional areas in Australia. And we, we identified that population of 60 plus thousand at the moment, growing to 100,000 by 2040, but a lot of really, really strong economic activity um, and industrial development taking place in the Riverina. And uh, we're continuing to look for other sites that sort of match those metrics of strong population growth, enough economic energy to sustain it, and also, frankly, existing media mastheads that have had it on their own for a long time and may not necessarily be serving their communities very well anymore. Mm. One of the keys to us for, for the business model is to be able, as far as possible, to own the search traffic in any geography, and that's what we've been able to do here in Canberra. So if you search for any outward-facing service, you'll see a bunch of ads. If you type in best plumber in Canberra, best electrician in Canberra, best mortgage broker in Canberra, the first thing that will come up after the ads is a Riot Act article um, about best plumber and the best mortgage broker or whatever. And the sort of the learned behavior in our readers now is to go, okay, I I see the article. I know when I hop in, that's the right act. I look at them every day for their news service on my on my phone, their EDMs drop into my my inbox every week. Um, I know that what I'm going to get when I click on that list for a mortgage broker is a description of, of what you're looking for in a mortgage broker, what their qualifications should be, and a list of five mortgage brokers. And this is obviously how we monetize the product. It's one of the two main ways that we monetize the, the product. And the best of articles will have um, five clients who are minimum four out of five Google and Facebook reviews. We'll have their contact details. But one of the really important differences is that we also allow pages of comments to run on that. And we don't um, we don't remove negative but genuine reviews. So if someone has clicked on one of those product recommendation pages, one of those those search engine optimized pages, and said, "Look, I had a terrible experience with that plumber. He was late, and the work was shoddy, and I was pretty cranky, and I made a complaint." We'll leave that there. Mm. Um, and what we do yeah, is just let me clarify that the plumber in question may or may not have paid to be there or will definitely have paid to be there? May or may not have paid to be there. We look for clients who are as likely to fit those parameters um, as possible, the, the highest recommendations and the highest qualifications. And we can basically iterate this out to as many sort of front-facing services as you can think of, you know, everything from sort of nail salons to mechanics. Um, it's a bit the equivalent of the, the rivers of gold, the old classifieds from the yeah. era. In old-fashioned thinking, it's a classified strategy, which actually many of the uh, regional publishing businesses around and about are trying to crack. Why do you think it is, Genevieve, that you've managed to crack it uh, and other people have failed? Well, you need to own the search engine traffic, basically. Um, and to do that, you need to be able to produce a steady volume of high-quality content so that Google ranks you as a trusted source. And so I often say that people won't trust us with their money at the back end unless they trust us with their content at the front end. Um, so Google now recognises that if people are looking for 
content and services and ideas in the Canberra and surrounding region, then they're probably looking for us. And so those results pop up over and over again. And, you know, back to the journalism, it's a, it's a curious reflection that most of the major media mastheads in Australia have spent the past 10 years stripping out their experience, talent, stripping out the people with the trusted names. And it turns out that that trust and name recognition is one of the things that Google really relies on to direct your inquiries. Mm. Um, so the search engine traffic is is really vitally important for the search engine optimised stream of the business. And then there is a second stream of the business, which is our category sponsors, the, the major businesses that we deal with, around about 40 or so of them uh, in Canberra and surrounding areas. And is that more traditional brand advertising? Not necessarily. Uh, so as I chipped you about when we met. And I, I remember your comment, thin gruel. Um, and uh, in fact, what we do is um, an integrated content model. We do do some display advertising, but the display advertising as much as anything is because the clients really want to see the display. So we have, you know, clickable banners and, and verticals and so on and so forth. But mostly what the model is predicated on for the category sponsors is trying to develop content that's a really good fit for our platform. So what's a little different about what we do with integrated content is that we don't just take supplied content from people's in-house PR and, you know, marketing managers. We actually sit down with all of those clients. We work through a program for the next six months. We talk to them about the things that they want to publicize and then work with them to kind of get those stories richly and strongly into shape. And that can mean that we quite often will push back on what the client thinks they want because we feel that things are boring or not a good fit for the platform or won't work well. We're really clear that we identify things that are, that are content from our partners. So we're not, certainly not hiding that, but what we are aiming to do is to make the one in 10 stories that are from our category sponsors as interesting and as vibrant and as strong as everything else. One thing that's quite noticeable about Riot Act is the prominence of the comments and how many there are. A lot of editorial people, the kind of people who might be listening to us, don't like comments. And I know myself, I'm conflicted by by comment threads because there can be a lot of quite destructive vitriol. There, There's legal risks now. Um, tell me about how you think about managing those risks and negatives. Look, we are very aware of that, Hal. I think it's central as one of our unique selling points that we do have the comments. So we rarely, if ever, turn the comments off, usually only for particularly egregious court matters or when we think that people have been arguing for three days and everyone's had their say. Um, but when the Vola case, uh, Vola versus uh, Nationwide, was found in favour of, uh, of Vola, we were a little bit surprised by the brouhaha from the major media mastheads because we'd already been strictly and vigorously moderating the comments for the entire existence of the platform in its in its current form. So I've got a, a social media team. We've got an AI uh, that we're constantly building and adjusting that manages the comments and flags, you know, overt racism and sexism and so on and so forth. But then there's a further three-stage process. So if anything is flagged, it goes to the moderators and the moderators have developed a pretty good sort of feeling for what works. My direction to them is that it should be free and fair, but not abusive. We don't have to be nice to people, but we do have to be fair and people have to feel that they'll get their say. And then the final uh, sort of point of appeal is me or the content director and our judgment on whether something's defamatory yeah. in particular. But, but the 
But technically, everything goes up and is then post-moderated. You're not pre-moderating those comments? No, we do pre-moderate. Yeah, well, that's much safer, but much more work. Yep, that's right. Yep. It is. But one of the things that we've really found with the, the comments, I mean, I don't hesitate to ban people who are dreadful repeat offenders. What we have found is much like I used to find when I was doing talk back on ABC radio, which is that if you set really consistent standards, the vast majority of people will develop a sense of where those barriers sit. And mm. and I've, from time to time with regular commenters who've kind of stepped over the line, I've, I've emailed them myself and said, look, that's just totally not okay. You're playing with this <laughs> and not the ball. Come on. Yeah, yeah. So... Genevieve, you, uh, you've impressed me with your energy and your optimism. A lot of people in the business that we're in, and particularly people trying to make ends meet in regional publishing and news, uh, are really struggling. Can you just explore a bit more the, the key differences there? Um, look, I, I would go back to the fact that we've got really smart strong business people, they're tech people who are looking at a tech problem through a media lens. Um, and I think that there's been far too little of that. Um, I think that a lot of the attention, even that the federal government has paid to the media problem has been to prop up failing business models because they make the most noise. I would say to people, get your business model right before you do anything. You are never going to survive if you think the editorial leads it. People will love you, but if you don't know how to do the business, you'll be out the door in no time. I often despair a little bit that the coverage of transitioning media will often focus on one-person operators who are doing a Facebook page. That's great. You know, that's terrific. Those people have got their hearts so much in the right place and often they're great journos, but it's not a model for enduring success. And we need successful media models to be able to serve the democratic needs of our communities. One person with a Facebook page can be wiped out by an algorithm change. They themselves get the flu or, you know, get hit by a truck. It's all over. There's nothing sustainable about it. And, and we need to do this business well. So people have got to step out there and solve the business problem and invest in the journalism at the same time. And that creates a viable future. And that's just so important for all of us. So... I'd be interested to get your view on the News Media Bargaining Code. This is the um, piece of legislation that mandates deals between Google, Facebook and news publishers. Uh, I can't see that uh, Tim and Michael would be would be too wild on it. What, what, what's your opinion? Yeah, Steve? look, we've had a very mixed experience um, and I guess I would quantify it as saying that the engagement with Facebook, uh, Facebook gave us a grant which we used to enhance our mobile journalism capacity and get mojo kits uh, here and in Riverina, which has been good. Um, but it's been very transient. We don't have a great deal of faith in it. Uh, we are pretty suspicious of what Facebook is up to with the news. And of course, there have been some recent announcements about them pulling back on their, their news role. Google has been uh, more interested to engage with us and more genuine in its engagement. And um, we are working with the Google News Initiative. Um, we've got uh, a bunch of young staff who are going through their news training, and that's been surprisingly detailed and effective. So Google's providing newsroom training. It's called the Google News Academy, I think. I'd have to check oh, this name. is the News Corp yeah. one. Yes, that's right. And it has, look, it's it's 
rigorous. It's quite demanding. So I've got um, a young journalist and our content director are both going through it. Um, obviously, our content director just sort of wants to monitor what's going on. Um, but it's been vigorous and worthwhile and has put our cadet through her paces. So I guess our take from that is it's been good and it's it's been well done and it's deeper than we thought it would be. However, we're just uncertain how long that's going to persist. So Google mm. have come to the party more effectively, more reliably and with more useful support. Facebook, I have I have no idea where that's going. What's your philosophical position on whether the digital platforms owe money to the news industry? Yeah, look, I think that that depends on how effectively you do your own business. Um, and I, I think a lot of the arguments that are made are being made by people who haven't understood how to do the business in any other way. So I think we remain a bit agnostic on, on that. I don't see that as something that we need to engage with philosophically really strongly because we are working with reality, working to mitigate our risks, working to drive traffic to our platform where our advertisers are and doing that successfully. Now, Genevieve, we sort of started with your personal journey, but very briefly, I'd like to know more about it. You appear to be right across the tech and uh, and right across the business. Now, there's not a lot of journos who are right across the tech and right across the business. So uh, how did you get here? Well, I, I talk a good game, Hal. I left the ABC at a time of great turbulence and change, and I'm not alone there. A lot of very well-experienced journalists lost their jobs. I feel incredibly fortunate to have been picked up by a bunch of people who had faith in me and who believed that I could exercise this leadership role. So I've learned as I've gone along. I'm just critically interested in how we can do a good, solid, robust job providing the news. And I, I think that one of the things that hasn't served journalists all that well in the past, and you do see it with a lot of older journalists, is people who just want to write. And look, they're great. I've got a couple of those in my organisation, but it won't take you very far. The old news model, journos had no idea what was going on in the business side. The business side had no idea why journalists went on and on about various things. And I think we all need to learn what each other do. And I, I have, every month we have a, a lunch and learn here in the office where we bring in people from business and from media. We had Jack Waterford, legendary longtime editor of the Canberra Times in just this week. And everybody goes to that. So I want everybody to be across the whole operation of the business. And for me, that's been a super exciting growth a friend said to me recently, I can't believe how you've been able to switch on part of your brain that would never have been in operation at the ABC. And so for me, it's it's been actually sort of, you know, from, from feeling pretty devastated about leaving the ABC to flourishing and growing in a, a vigorous news organisation. It's been a really exciting journey. I feel like we've cracked something here at, at Region. I, I feel like we're a bit of a unicorn and we are showing the way forward. Thanks to Genevieve Jacobs for that interview. My name is Hal Crawford and I am delighted you could join me today. Next week, I'm speaking to the fascinating Tim Griggs. Tim is a former news executive who now runs training programs around the world for news businesses struggling to make the next move in digital. Tim is a no-nonsense guy and knows his stuff. 
It's going to be interesting. Thanks to Kevin for the Crawford Media music. Bye for now.